Can we love one another enough to where we don't let our attitudes, our habits, or our marriages, or our church family get off track before we say something, before we speak up? Because when I think about things that are going on in the body of Christ, it grieves me because I wonder what the word accountability even means anymore. Who are you accountable to in this life? You see, every one of us, no matter who you are, has a tipping point, a small compromise or a thought that we may act on or justify, maybe, to try to manipulate our circumstances to our advantage. And it doesn't matter maybe how great things, for example, are going in your marriage right now. Pornography can sneak in and lead to unrealistic expectations from your spouse and then you begin to seek out something that you think will be better outside of your marriage. And it doesn't matter how great our church is going, sin, greed, wrong motive, control, fear, they can all lead to bad decisions and wounded people. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something healthy. But for it to stay healthy, we're going to have to love one another more than we do. We're going to have to make a serious shift from the church being somewhere that we go to it being who we are. And that means I love you enough to tell you the truth. That means I love you enough to be real, to be transparent, to ask difficult questions, to not idolize people or put them up on a pedestal, but rather love one another enough to shift from the church being about instead what I get to being this idea of a family, this body of believers that cares for one another in deep, authentic, real relationships. For us to remain healthy and to continue to grow, we need to make a shift. And that's what we're going to talk about today is making that shift from attending to engaging. And we're just going to hang out in Ephesians chapter 4 today. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to hang out there so you can just get real comfortable in Ephesians 4. But we're going to kick it off by reading the entire chapter of Ephesians 4. And I want, as we're reading through it, if maybe the Holy Spirit highlights something to you, jot that down or, or make a note or underline something that may stand out to you as we read through this. And it's, it, it's going to be a lot in the beginning, but I promise you that as we read through it, it's going to make sense as the way that it, rela it relates to us connecting in Christ-centered community. So Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4 and verse 1. I therefore, talking about Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to, be put, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work in his own hands so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As we read this chapter in the book of Ephesians, it helps us to see how a healthy, functioning, Christ-centered community is supposed to operate. That this is not just somewhere that we go. It's not somewhere we simply attend, but it's somewhere where we're deeply engaged in Christ-centered relationships, where we see the values of the church, this body of Christ, and Jesus being the head. And the thing I think we need to understand in our day and age is that what we get is not the goal. Oftentimes we think being a part of a Christ-centered community is about what we get. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of the service? What am I going to get out of the gathering? What am I going to get out of my small group? And it becomes all about what I get. And we miss the engaging piece because we think it's all about what we get. The church is not just a dispenser of truth or a theater show where you come to hear uh, Christian truths and experience Christian entertainment or religious traditions or Christian programs. The church is not supposed to be just a place where you go or simply attend, but rather it's to be a group of people in whom you have deep, authentic relationship with, where you do life together in Christ-centered community, where we sharpen one another, where we help one another to grow, where we care for one another in a real, tangible way. In Ephesians 4 and 2, Paul illustrates this where he says we are to bear with one another. We're supposed to have this thing where we're caring about one another and bearing one another in this journey. And if you look up that word bearing in the original Greek, which Paul would have written it in, it means to have patience with. Hello, somebody. Yeah, yeah? <laughs> to, to be patient with, to suffer alongside, to persist with. 
You see, we are to strive to keep loving one another for the sake of preserving unity. And the only way I know how to do that is to engage with one another in real relationship. And it's got to be deeper than just simply attending a service. I was having breakfast with a friend of mine this past week, and he said something really profound. And I said, I'm going to steal that and preach that. So that's what I'm about to do here. And as, as we were having breakfast, we were talking about when people struggle with something. And they began to get into trouble, or they began to have issues come up where they begin to say yes to the wrong things. And how people often respond when they're struggling with something or they're going through a difficult time is they normally step back and step away from the people that actually care about and love them the most. They actually step back and step away from the people that could surround them and encourage them and help them because the enemy may get them to buy into the lie of shame or they may feel this overwhelming sense of guilt or maybe they just don't want to burden someone with what they're going through. They don't want to offload that on someone because I know they're busy and they have their own challenges and their own things in life. And and, and so people began to to think, I got this. I can handle this on my own. I'm strong enough. I've been through worse and I've got this. And and so we don't want to cast those cares and to help bear those burdens because we we just don't want to go through the the guilt or the shame or the, the transparency or whatever the vulnerability that that may bring. But as I read scripture, I see here that Paul says the manner we're supposed to walk in, the, the worthy of the calling that we've been called with humility and patience and gentleness, bearing one another, caring, striving for, suffering alongside, not just having these shallow relationships where we say, well, hey, brother, how are you doing? God bless you, sister. Good to see you today but where we actually care about one another in a Christ-centered community, where there's something deeper beyond, hi, how are you? Glad that you're here. Glad you've showed up today. But we care for one another in a deep way. And what my friend said was that people step away, but actually when we're into trouble, we should step into those relationships we naturally want to run away from, not step back from them. We should step into Christ-centered community. Not, I'm going to take a break from church because I'm really struggling right now. No, I need to step into Christ-centered community during those seasons and those times. Because we need to care about one another at that level and know this is where we care and love for one another in a real authentic way. Because how am I going to grow? How am I going to be held accountable? How am I going to deepen my faith? How am I going to walk through trials if I'm simply just attending and being a consumer-minded person who's only thinking about what I get out of the deal. You see, when you're struggling, we should be pressing in to Christ-centered community within our church family, and you can't do that without engaging and connecting. Because the church is a few things, and and, and we're going to talk about these things today. The church is people gathering Because we believe that we are better together and that we're going to build one another up by loving one another. And that's what the church is supposed to be all about. In Ephesians 4 and verse 11, he says that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Stop right there. Ministry. Think about that for just a second because we all have a different idea in our minds about what that word even means. Some of us think it means position. It simply means someone who is leading something, putting, putting a, you know, maybe a, a lot of work and a lot of energy into something that happens at a church on a certain day and a certain time, and we think that's what ministry is. So we have a very limited view of ministry if that's your definition. 
You see, if we read further in Ephesians chapter 4, he actually begins to define what ministry is. And it's not just what happens on a Sunday or a Monday at a church. Amen, somebody. It happens every single day. And and let me help you this morning because I had a conversation with someone that I thought was very enlightening just this morning. I was talking to someone, and they told me that in their small group that there was someone who said, man, I wish I had this gift to be able to do this certain type of ministry because, man, I just don't feel like what I'm doing is really making a difference. And this small group leader said, well, yeah, but don't you do this, 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 and this? Aren't you involved in these different areas and doing these different things? And aren't you serving over here and over there? And don't you do this in your everyday life? And this lady said, I never thought about it that way because she thought it had to be something on a stage. She thought it had to be something with a title. She thought it had to be something you had to go to seminary to learn how to do. Ministry is not just something that happens within the context of these four walls. Amen, somebody? Ministry is not just something that happens once a a, a week on a Sunday or a Monday service or whatever or in a small group. It happens every day, everywhere when we understand the church is not just somewhere we go, but it is who we are. And, And the idea that we have about church is going to help frame for us how we see ourselves and our role in the body of Christ. Imagine, if you would, that there's two tables on this stage, and one of these tables would be a table that you would see in a restaurant. It's got the salt and pepper shaker. It's got the little napkin holder thingy. Maybe there's a menu. Maybe there's some ketchup, you know, on the table already, and you're going to eat burgers and fries at this restaurant. And then imagine over here uh, to my right that there's this other table that is the table that's in your home, your family table that you sit around. And, you know, maybe there's a centerpiece, maybe there's not, maybe there's some, you know, crayon marks or something from a, a, pro- a project that a kid was working on. Maybe there's somebody's garbage that they didn't throw away. That's probably the case, um, where there's something left on there, you know, a, a, a bowl of cereal with milk in it, you know, still. But over here at the restaurant table, we could eat food, and over at the family table, we could eat food. So we can do the same thing at either table. We could do the same thing at either table, but the way that we approach the table and the way we think around those tables is very, very different. At the restaurant table, we're there for the food. We're there for good service. We have certain expectations, and if those expectations aren't met, well, we're going to say, this was a bad experience. Buddy, let me tell you, your tip is riding on my experience. And a lot of us, if, if, if things are going slow, you know, it's not working out very well, can I get you some more to drink? No, I just like staring at a cup full of ice. And, and, and we get frustrated. We get aggravated. We begin to act out. We begin to get huffy. We begin to contemplate whether or not we should be a part of what's happening at this table ever again. And if the experience is bad, we go, you know what? I'm done with this table. I'm never coming back to this place again. I don't see how they're going to make it or stay in business. Everything, even if the the, the burger's overcooked, undercooked, every little thing we're going to be critical of. We're going to be much more critical. Why? Because we're here to be a consumer. Someone's here to serve me. It's all about what I get. And so if we go over to the family table, my mentality is very different because if my drink um, doesn't get refilled, um, I'm not going to say to my mother um, anything that would cause any physical harm to me. And I don't know about you, but man, let me tell you, when my dad first started trying to cook for us, 
um, there was, we were the guinea pigs, and my dad learned on us, and he, for some reason, chose whole chickens as the thing he wanted to experiment on, and they were either one way or another. They were either, we were rolling the dice on whether we were going to get salmonella poisoning, or we were eating chicken jerky. One of the two had happened, and, and, and when he first started cooking, that, that was either extreme of what we were having for dinner that night. But you know what? Even though all through those meals, I didn't go, I'm done with this family. I'm done with this family. Man, they don't do anything I want. I, everything, it's not prepared right. It's not cooked the way I want. I'll do that over here, but I won't do it over here at the family table. Why? I'm still eating food. I'm still sitting at a table doing the same thing. But my whole mentality, my whole expectation is different. What's different? The relationships around the table. You see, I don't, I don't really know the cook. I don't have a lot invested over here at the restaurant because I'm just a consumer. I'm just here for what I can get. I'm just here for you to take care of me and you to serve me. Over here, I know the people around the table. My relationships are deeper. My, my investment is deeper. My care is deeper. As a matter of fact, over here at the restaurant, if they say, okay, now that uh, you're done with your supper, how would you like to go back to the kitchen and uh, help us wash dishes and uh, help clean up the table? Well, no, I don't want to do that. I'm here to be served. I'm a consumer. But over here, when I'm at the family table, man, my whole attitude's different. Hey, you want to help with this? Or it wasn't, do you want to? It's you're doing this and you're doing this. And we would have to help. And we all have responsibilities at the family table because it took all of us to make this thing work. Over here, it was all about me. Over here, it was about we. It was about our family unit. And as we look at Scripture, I see that what the Apostle Paul is trying to illustrate looks much more like what happens around a family table than what happens at a restaurant table. But too often, people have in their minds that church goes this way instead of this way. And we don't think about serving one another. We think about me getting mine and me getting it my way and the way I want it. And we miss out on the true connection of what church could be because it's about this gathering. We gather in services to worship, to share the gospel, to love on one another, to remind ourselves that we're better together, to strategize together on how to impact eternity, to be edified, to be built up, to strengthen the unity of a Christ-centered community. And that's why we prioritize gathering together. It's prioritizing the purpose and, and, and part of being the church. It's like a weekly big family reunion. Some of you go, oh, that sounds fun. Some of you are like, mm -hmm. <laughs> But it's not an inclusive deal where it's just our four no more. It's actually like an open-ended family reunion where you're constantly bringing in more people who are joining the family. And it's a beautiful thing because it's not an inclusive deal. And it's about us gathering, and the church is also about people growing. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, where Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So that lets me know we need to grow to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning, human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. As we see what Paul goes on to say, he's saying, listen, there's this growing, this is, there's this maturing element, and it's not just up to you by yourself. It's something we're supposed to be experiencing and doing together. 
It's something that actually we are doing together as we're bearing one another's burdens, as we're being patient and gentle with one another, as we're speaking the truth in love to one another. We are growing more and more into Christ-likeness and godliness so that we begin to live a life that is more pleasing unto God, where Paul lets us know part of our role is to get solid as believers because there's going to be other voices, there's going to be other things out there that's floating around, and it's our responsibility to be able to tell what is of God and what's not. Just because somebody's the next YouTube sensation or somebody has a big platform, they become the next celebrity pastor and have a New York Times bestseller doesn't mean they're legit. We need to be able to discern in our day and age. Just because somebody has the next hit worship song, we need to make sure, is their doctrine right? Are we lining up? Is this something that's glorifying God? Is this something that's correct or is it just popular because there's a difference? There's a difference between correct and popular, and we need to be able to discern and know the difference so that way I'm not being thrown around, and it's our responsibility as followers of Christ within the context of the body of Christ to sharpen each other, to help one another to grow, to strengthen one another. He says to be mature, not just to follow what's popular, not just to follow what everybody else seems to be jumping on board with. We need to grow we also see that we are to speak the truth and love to one another. He says to help us grow up in every way in Christ, who is the head of the church. So how do you speak the truth in love? Because, I mean, some of us, come on, we got certain personalities. We're really good at speaking the truth. Not so much at speaking it in love. We just like to tell people, well, it's the truth. And if you got to tell somebody, well, it's the truth, to temper what you're saying, you're probably not doing it in love. And then you got some people, they just want to be like, oh, it's fine, it's just grace and love, and we're not going to stand up or say anything, do anything challenging or controversial, just let them find their way to Jesus. Both of those extremes are wrong. One's self-preserving, the other is prideful and arrogant. I see in Scripture where we need to be balanced to be able to speak the truth in love, but how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in love? Here's the way you do it. Before you speak the truth, ask the question, have I allowed myself to love this person or do I just want to tell them the truth? Have I allowed myself to love this person or this group of people or whatever the case may be? Because if I love them, I have a responsibility to tell them the truth. And I need to trust God for the boldness if I'm not a naturally outspoken, bold person to speak the truth. But I need to do it first knowing I've loved the person. Have I loved the person to where I have compassion on them? I, I, I care about them. I love them and I want to see them succeed and do well. I just don't, because if, if all we're interested in is people going, oh, wow, you're right. Everything I've been doing with my life is wrong. Thanks. I'm so glad you spoke that truth. That's all I needed to hear. If that's our hope, or if our hope is that someone goes, man, you're right, and we go, <laughs> yeah, I am. I've <laughs> been telling you that for years. About time you caught up, or, man, I've been saying that for years. Oops, who cares? Love the person first. And there's people, some people in our lives, and maybe you figured this out by now, maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, you will at some point. Some people are just, uh, they, they, they make it a challenge to uh, be loved um, because they want to try to hurt you. They want to try to speak ill will against you or they may just intentionally just have it out for you, just may not like you. 
It, those are the people that would go, God, what do I do with that? I want to speak truth in their lives, but how do I love people who hate me or people who may um, want to just throw stones my way? And there were a few years um, back where I had a relationship that, man, uh, with someone that it really hurt the way that the relationship ended because I had given myself uh, uh, just a lot of, you know, trust and vulnerability and time with this person. And, and then all of a sudden they just kind of took that and, and, and just really what I would call really just betrayed me. You ever felt betrayed before by someone? And man, it's painful and it makes you not want to trust again. It makes you want to just give up uh, and, and, or not get that close to someone again. And you're carrying around these wounds and all this stuff like that. And, and anytime I would see this person in Walmart or something like that, you know, that's one of those you're like shopping and you're like, oh no, there they are. Let's, uh, <laughs> you know. None of you have ever done that. I'm just talking about me. I'm just talking about me this morning. Just trying to keep it real. Or if you're in one of the unavoidable awkward confrontations, you're both going down the same aisle and then you look in there one another and now you got to say something. And so you go, oh, hey, how are you? Oh, so good to see you. Oh, yeah, how are the kids? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, mine, mine are doing great. Yeah, okay, well, well, have a good day. Yeah, good day. Could you believe they're, they're just... I mean... Again, it's just me, but I had to work through some things in my heart because I was being fake, man, and, and I was holding all this animosity and this bitterness on the inside, and I wasn't loving this person. I wasn't speaking truth, even to their face, because it was, I was still wounded, and I was still carrying around those wounds, so what the Lord led me to do during this time, and, and, and this may help you too, is uh, God began to put on my heart to pray for this person. It's hard to stay mad at someone you're genuinely praying for. And I'm not talking about prayer like, God, rain down lightning on them, Lord. I pray that you would wake them up and, you know, it's not, nothing like that, you know. I'm, not, I'm talking about like for real, like, God, help me, first of all, to love them the way you love them. Let me see them the way you see them. And I want to pray good things for them. Lord, I, 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 and, and when you do that, if you do that regularly and consistently, it might be a, 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 a work at first to try to have to push through, but man, there will come a time where you can genuinely pray and love this person. And in this particular situation, the person that God led me to regularly pray for actually ended up developing a heart of compassion for in a deep way to the point to where when they went through something significant in their lives, I was able to reach out in a genuine, authentic way, not doing PR, but just genuine authentically reaching out saying, can I help you? Can I do this? Can I do that? And I was able to reconnect with them. We were able to work through things. And, and, and it's just been a God-honoring thing ever since. But if I would have stayed stuck, you know, I, I wouldn't have been real. I wouldn't have been transparent. I wouldn't have been honest. I wouldn't have been able to speak the truth in love to this person. But I needed to allow myself to love that person first. Because there are people in my life that, man, I have to speak truth to on a regular basis. There are people that I have to speak hard things, hard truths to that are very challenging. But yet, when I speak truths to people, if they know that I love them, a lot of times they'll actually say thank you after I'm done, which is really weird because they have no idea how incredibly difficult that may have been for me to say. But at the same time, I'm like, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, or I'll ask someone, what are you hearing after I'm done talking to them and just saying some hard truths? And they'll say, I, you know, first and foremost, I'm hearing that you love me and you care about me. But yeah, it stings a little bit, this truth. 
but I know you love me. I know you care about me. So let's let ourselves love people first, not just be people that are just throwing out truth without love, because truth with love is much more effective. Amen, somebody. And that's how we're supposed to grow, to hold unity together. Because, man, anytime you get a bunch of people together in this thing called church, it's not going to be like this, you know, super smooth, everything's going to work just right all the time, and everyone's always going to get along, and everyone's going to always agree, and it's going to be great. And I mean, that would be wonderful, but it's not whether or not we have problems that, <laughs> that, that marks us as, as healthy Christ followers, it's how we handle those things. How, how do we resolve? How do we forgive? How do we show grace? How do we help give instruction? How do we help one another grow? How do we spur one another on to good works? How do we maintain unity in this thing called the body of Christ? I, I mean, that, that's the thing that glorifies God, not when we just don't do anything uh, that's challenging, but when we work through it in a God-honoring way. Let people know you love them first, because speaking the truth in love means we have a heart to preserve unity. It means that we're going to be honest, we're going to care, we're going to hold each other accountable, we're going to encourage one another to grow because we understand something. We understand we are better together. Because the church is about gathering, the church is about growing, and the church is people giving. Of course, we're going to receive. And it's great when we receive. But as we understood from the two tables that it's not all about what I get. Actually, Scripture says that the bigger joy is in the giving, not just in the receiving. You remember uh, when you were a little kid and Christmas time would come around, and it seemed like, man, it took forever. We had an advent calendar with a little, like, stuffed teddy bear on it, and he would move to different rooms in the house during advent. And that joker, like, he was slow. I mean, that bear... To get him down to the living room on our little calendar, I was like, come on, man. I know right where Christmas is at, and I can help you find it, buddy. It, when I was a kid, it seemed like it took forever. It just took forever. And I was so excited that Christmas morning about what I was going to get. It was all about what I was going to get. And a lot of people, when they first come to faith in Christ, and they first become a part of a local gathering of believers, a church, they're all excited about what they're going to get. Oh, man, I can't wait for what I'm going to get. It's going to be so great. Oh, I can't wait till Sunday. It can't come fast enough. Or to my small group on you know, Wednesday night or whatever. It can't get here fast enough. I'm so excited to get to be a part of this gathering of believers. Oh, I can't wait for what I'm going to get. But then when I'm a kid... I go and I grow up and then I get in the teenage years and I'm not as excited about what I'm going to get and I kind of feel weird about that because I want to be excited about Christmas like I used to be like when I'm 16 and mom and dad are like, hey, let's go hop in the car and go look at lights. I'm like, eh. You know, I mean, I'm not as excited as I used to be. Hey, let's sing Christmas carols. Eh, I don't know. You know, when I get older, I start to feel weird because I want to I feel the way I used to feel. And that's how a lot of people do with church when they first come to Christ. They get connected in Christ in their community. They're all excited at first. But then they get in this awkward stage. And they're like, man, I don't feel like I used to feel. I used to feel excited. To come. I used to feel excited. And we begin to wonder because we want to recapture the feeling we used to have. So we start chasing after this revival or this speaker or this church or that church or this pastor or that pastor. We begin to make idols out of these things because we want to go back and we want to recapture, but we don't realize that we're in a season of growing and God is calling us on to the next thing. And if we would recognize that He wants us to grow and He's wanting us to understand there's a next thing He wants us to grow into, and that is the same thing we grow into as Christmas. I become a parent, and man, I am more excited about what I'm going to give my kids than what I'm going to get that year. I can't wait. I'm so excited, and, and man, that joy is so exciting to, especially if you're on like the hunt for something, you know, or you just know this is like the right 
like experience of the right thing. You know you nailed it that year as a parent. You're like, oh, I can't wait to see the look on their faces. And I just know it's going to be great. My son's birthday is coming up, and uh, we have a surprise for our son for his birthday that I can't wait to be able to give him. I'm so excited about that, much more than what I got for my birthday this past year. And we understand that it's not about what I get, but as I get older, it's actually I am more blessed to give than I am to receive. And it works the same way. Instead of us trying to recapture this thing about what I get and where is it at for me and what's in it for me, all of a sudden now my priority becomes how can I help others? How can I give? And there's a new joy that I discover in being a part of the body of Christ in giving and investing and in sowing into other people's lives, and it's not just about me. Now, will I still get? Yeah, I'm still going to receive. That's great. But the priority doesn't become about what I get, but rather it becomes about what can I give? How can I invest? How can I sow? How can I be a part of this thing called the body of Christ? Verse 16, uh, Paul writes, From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow and it builds up itself in love. He's saying, listen, every part has a role. Every part of the body has a role. Every one of us have a role in the body of Christ, the church. And it's not just the Sunday gathering. It's the everyday, the body of Christ. Every one of us has a role. And when we all do our part, he said, we grow. We get healthy. We are edified. We're built up in love. And people begin to see Jesus in action through the lives of a Christ-centered community because every role is vital. Every one of us has a gift. And the Holy Spirit has given us gifts, and we're instructed in Scripture to use the things that God has given us and also desire to be used more. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, earnestly seek, desire spiritual gifts. This is a good thing to desire and to seek spiritual gifts for the Holy Spirit to use you because God's not asking you to do something because you're so great. Hello, somebody. He's not saying, oh, yeah, I really need you on my team. Woo, I'm glad I got you on my team because you are special and I can use you. Woo, man, I'm glad. No, he's wanting to use you through the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you. So it's really God empowering you to do the things for God that he wants you to do. And if we see it that way, it doesn't become about me. It doesn't become about myself. It becomes rather about how God can use me for his glory by empowering me with himself. Not me using what's so good about me, but rather in spite of me. Not because of me, but in spite of me. And so me even being used by the Holy Spirit becomes the gospel lived out. It's not because of me, but rather it's in spite of me. What's our job then? Our job is to ask. That's what the Bible says. Ask. He said, seek, desire. God, I want to be used by you. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will give gifts as he sees fit where it's appropriate, where it's necessary, where it's going to be most helpful and most useful. That's where he's going to give them. It's our job to ask. Amen, somebody? But when I'm a giver, I have found joy in generosity. I am generous with my time. Have you ever had this experience where maybe you had committed to do something, say like on a Saturday, and then like Friday night, you're like kind of regretting that you committed (laughs) to do that thing on Saturday, and you're like going to the kids, hey, you guys feel okay? Like, are you sure? You look a little pale, lure than usual, or if you're my kids. But are you, look, you look a little pale. Like, are, are, are you okay? You feel okay? I mean, because, like, we got a thing tomorrow, but, you know, we don't have to go if you're not feeling good. I mean, 
you know, and, and, but then maybe you end up going to that thing you had committed to that you really wish you wouldn't have committed to. And then after you were done doing that thing you had committed to do, you were like, man, I'm glad I did that. I'm, I'm glad I didn't skip out on that. Man, I almost called and canceled. Man, I'm glad I didn't. Oh, man, that was so good. I'm so glad that we stuck to that commitment. That's because there's a joy attached to giving. There's a joy attached to generosity. There's a joy attached to us saying yes now to what God wants us to do. There is a joy that's attached to being yes first people who are going, yes, Lord, however, whenever, wherever you want me to go, what you want me to do, I want to say yes to you. And when I do, I'm like, Lord, I'm glad I did because the enemy wants to give you every excuse in the book for you to say no, for you to cancel, for you to go, ah, yeah, I'd rather do this. Ah. The enemy wants to shuffle your priorities around and get you off track. But when we say yes, we, we experience the joy of giving, of giving of our time, of giving of our resources, of giving our talents into eternal things. I find the joy of giving, even when it comes to resources that God has blessed me with, that type of generosity pleases God and it's worship. Giving for the church should be regular, sacrificial, and consistent. Giving for the church should be regular, sacrificial, and consistent. To where I'm saying, yes, Lord, how do you want to use me? What are you calling me to say yes to right now? What are the opportunities that are in front of me? So the church is people gathering, the church is people growing, the church is people giving, and the church is people going. We are called to live in Christ-likeness and holiness among those who do not believe. One of the very next things that the Apostle Paul begins to say is that, verse 17, Now I say this, and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they're darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, and to practice every type of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Christ. He said, you've learned a different way. There's supposed to be something different about you as you go out into everyday life. When you're in the marketplace, when you're in the workplace, when you're in different venues being entertained where it's a mixed crowd of believers in Christ and non-believers, when you're in certain areas where God, is, God has given you opportunity to be there, whether that may be the sphere of influence in your work, whether that may be the person that you sit next to every day, your neighborhood that you live in, you understand that church is not just somewhere we go, but it's who we are, and you're living that out every single day. We're supposed to navigate those situations with the understanding that we're the church. Amen. And what if we got on board with this idea of church being who we are, not just somewhere that we go? What if we changed the way we viewed our responsibilities outside of a weekly service or a small group? What kind of impact for eternity would be made in our neighborhoods? in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, and with our families. You're about to go. Like literally, I'm about to dismiss. <laughs> You're about to go. And the time we've had together is going to be over. So what's your next move? This is great. I love this. I love gathering with you. I love worshiping God with you. I love sharing the Word of God with you. I love getting to connect and fellowship with you at this time, at this place. But what's next? What happens after this? All the stirring that's been done in your heart, all of the renewing that's been happening in your mind to see your role differently. 
all of the things we've talked about, all of the things that have come up that maybe you've even written down, what happens next? What is changing in your mind and your heart from the word that's been spoken today? My hope is that you're growing from being an attendee to someone who is engaging in the church. For some of you, this is going to mean you need to get out of your seat and get involved and do the thing you've been saying and talking about doing. For others of you, it's going to be taking that next step into your calling and in your gifting because you know God's put that there. You've just been questioning it because you don't know if it's good enough. Stop measuring yourself by other people and say yes now to that thing that God's putting in front of you with what he's given you. For some of you, it's going to be a conversation that needs to be had to help preserve unity, to help you to grow and maybe humble yourself, ask for forgiveness, pray for that person who has wounded or offended you. Whatever it may be, whatever that next step is, take that next step to move from being an attender to someone who's engaged, someone who's engaged in not just going to church, but being the church in their everyday lives. Amen, church? So, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We're grateful for your goodness and your grace and your mercy because it is sufficient. It is sufficient for where I'm at right now, and it's going to be sufficient for the next day and the next situation, regardless of what challenges may be in front of me. Lord, thank you so much for being so good to us, for being so gracious, for being so kind, for being so generous that you would allow us to be a part of, of this body that you have called the church. In Christ, you are the head. Jesus, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are the head of this church. And we thank you for inviting us to be a part, for giving us what we did not deserve by you taking our place on the cross where you died a gruesome death that should have been ours, but instead we receive life because you took the punishment for us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the good news of the gospel that it's no longer we who lives, but it's now Christ who lives within us. And the life that we now live, we live by faith in you, Jesus, because you are good. And we ask you to help us to say yes to that thing that's next, to engaging, to sitting at the family table and not being a consumer. And Lord, I pray you would just convict our hearts where we have made it about us, that we would repent for our consumeristic ideas that have bled over into your holy, perfect church. Into the church, Lord, the thing that you have given your life for, Jesus. Forgive us for where we have made it about things that do not glorify you. Forgive us for letting ourselves and our pride and our arrogance getting caught up in the way Help us to see what really matters. Help us to be people that are living to glorify you, to be a beautiful, glorious bride that is showing people the love and truth of Jesus by not only the things we say, but the way we live every single day. In Jesus' name, amen.